Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Amarla Fries, and we'll be talking about her book, American Psychic, A Spiritual Journey from the Heartland to Hollywood, Heaven, and Beyond. While shooting a TV commercial in Los Angeles, Marla Fries was given a message. The father of the actor sitting across from her wanted the actor to know that he was happy about the new baby. But there was a twist. The father was deceased. The actor was shocked. Marla was godsmacked. Increasingly, messages from the deceased, from deceased loved ones and powerful psychic awareness demanded her attention. Marla followed her heart, left acting, and never looked back. Now she uses her gifts to help families from the heartland to Hollywood find healing. American Psychic tells the spiritual journey of a small-town girl who develops her psychic gifts in relationship with God on a synchronistic path that weaves through the trauma of her childhood, drama of her acting career, and adventures in healing and transformation. Along the way, she has explored her abilities with the U.S. military psychic spies, assisted detectives on homicide cases, and delved into the science behind her abilities with physicist Thomas Campbell. For more information about Marla, you can visit her website, which is marlafreeze.com, and that's M-A-R-L-A-F-R-E-E-S.com. And for more information about the book, you can visit the website, which is AmericanPsychicBook.com. And with that, I'd like to welcome Marla to the show. Good day, Marla. Hi, Robert. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure, and, and I enjoyed reading your book. There were just so many um, bits of um, pop culture in it that I could relate to. I mean, as you, as you were going through your journey, I was kind of comparing to where I was in mine. And so, anyway, it was oh, a good. really enjoyable book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you so much. That's what that's what I wanted. I wanted people to go on the ride with me and have them look at their own lives and go. Oh, yeah, that kind of happened to me, too. Oh, oh yes, I see why that happened. And, of course, if Marla can survive it, I can survive it. So, <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Yeah, that's great. Well, you know, let's, I want to start with, um, you know, many things, you know, speaking of, you know, what, you know, maybe listeners have experienced, it seems that many times gifts um, have their start um, at an early age or, or their um demonstrated or um, there's a, an awareness at an early age. Would you mind sharing with the listeners when you first recognized your gift of sight? Sure. Well, first off, um, as a child, we don't know that these are gifts that show up. They're just weird things that happen, right? And unless you have people around you that are supporting those visions or those awarenesses, you don't really get to develop them. And that's one of the things that happened to me because I didn't really believe in what I ended up doing. 
as a child, there were some very interesting things that did show up. Um, at one time when I was eight years old, I was across the street in a neighbor's house, and I was just breaking up bread for the woman whose house I was in for Thanksgiving uh, stuffing. And all of a sudden, my, I just went blind to what I was looking at. I couldn't see the bowl. I couldn't see the bread. And I saw her boyfriend in a parking lot, and he was standing with a nurse. And he was telling the nurse that he didn't want to be with the woman in the kitchen. He wanted to be with the nurse, and he didn't want to buy the woman in the kitchen a Christmas present. And I just blurted it out, and I told the woman in the kitchen what I saw. (laughs) So, of course, um, they broke up, but but they did get back together, and they married. (laughs) But that was at eight years old. And then, of course, I was, yeah. I was saved. I was saved in an accident with my horse because a voice came to me and told me how to handle what was happening so that I wouldn't die, basically. But it really didn't happen until the mid-'90s, right, when I turned 30-ish, um, when this all really started exploding in my life. Yeah. Wow. Now, but there there was um, a, a um, an inc- uh, an activity where there was a I believe it was Madame Marla <laughs> that was yes, uh, yes, yes. a young <laughs> a young Marla. Okay. So, I mean, yes. yeah, you know, I, 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 no, I would like for you to tell that story because main okay. reasons being is that you know is that you know involved in that is you know your perception of you know that uh, paranormal um other people's mm-hmm. reactions and also at the young age so you know i think there are people yeah. out there right now that might be either parent or child experiencing that well you know you mentioned pop culture robert and i was raised on lucille ball and i dream of genie and samantha stevens as as bewitched and I was invited, somehow got, news got around town that I was able to see things. Well, I was invited by the Church of the Brethren, not my Trinity Lutheran Church, but the Church of the Brethren for me to be a fortune-telling madam for the evening <laughs> in their, at their social, I think it was just a, you know, a get-together or maybe it was around Halloween. But I didn't know what to do, and I thought, okay, well, I'll – I'll get my mother's tablecloth and I'll put my hair in a turban, kind of like Ethel Mertz did on one of the on one of the I Love Lucy episodes. Mm-hmm. And I darkened my mole and I wore bangles for my ears and I actually read something about palm reading. So I get in there and I really didn't know what I was doing. But one of the teachers from the high school came in and sat down with me. And it was Mr. Hawksworth. He was the skinny, I think, world culture teacher. And I took his hand. And immediately I saw him getting married. And I saw when it was going to happen. So I said, you're going to get married. And not at this church. It'll be another church. And it will be with a woman who you meet in the summertime. And that's exactly what happened, I think, a year or two later. So that was pretty kind of fun. But I didn't really yeah. understand. I just didn't really know. I just allowed myself to not, you know, to, I didn't care about being wrong. I just thought, okay, I'm invited to do this. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Now, 
wasn't there um, a little bit of a negative reaction to some of those around you um, about sure. that, doing that kind of stuff? Well, well, you see, I was busy. My whole life was busy navigating my mother. My mother was not a well woman, and I had to navigate her physical and, and emotional abuse. So when this happened, I believe it was close to the time around 13 or 14, I basically um, had been really trying to stand up to her. So when this did happen, she heard things from people in town, but of course she criticized me and didn't punish me like she normally would. She just put it off to the side and didn't really talk about it. Actually, there were some parts of my mother that were highly psychic too. And this is one of the interesting threads throughout the book, American Psychic, because it's my experience, the trauma that I suffered because of her physical and emotional um, and trauma, traumatic abuse that, that she perpetrated on me, is why I have heightened sensitivity. I believe through working with scientists and physicists that I understand that the body you know, will tell you when something is wrong. And my body had to start reacting almost immediately, even in utero, to my mother's um, emotional and physical problems. She smoked cigarettes. And I remember, um, you know, when I was very, very young, having such um, a reaction to cigarette smoke. I still do. But the bottom line was my body was always telling me that I had to protect myself. And that start, started a long time ago. And I think that many people who are highly psychic have had traumas in their history that make them deeply sensitive to environment, people, etc. You know, there are people that have been coming out of the woodwork in the last couple of years that are highly empathic. And empaths, being an empath, being able to feel other people's feelings is a hard road to, to walk unless you get help. And thank God, in the, in the 90s, I chose to start healing that trauma. And that is why I believe I'm capable of doing the work that I do now. Yeah, yeah. It, it, once you've traveled that road, it becomes easier to, um, to identify it, you know, when, when you know, it's in awareness, either be it from a client or from someone in a different plane. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, in addition to that trauma aspect, you, um, I think it was in uh, the chapter on, on the gift of fear that you mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. that fear, you know, really um, also contributed elements to well, that well, right. uh, sensitivity. Absolutely. Well, well, you have a background in psychology. So you understand the, the terminology of splitting or uh, going or being mm-hmm. diso- having a dissociative ability where consciousness mm-hmm. will actually leave your body. I mean, some of your listeners very well may remember in their childhood or even now when someone is yelling at them that all of a sudden they find their consciousness out to the side of their body and they can watch their parents hurting them either emotionally or physically. And that's what happened to me. When I started leaving my body and flying around and go, trying to get into other people's houses when things were being done to me that shouldn't have been done. 
So yeah, who would have thought yeah, I, you know, that, that, that those are dissociative abilities? Yeah, I had many a flying dream, and I, I, I really uh, mm-hmm. used that, that time for, for escape as well. So, and, and, and um, yeah. I'm of that, one of my favorite license plates is, if it's not one thing, it's your mother, you know, and <laughs> I can associate with that. <laughs> So, oh my gosh! I think yeah, I won that license plate. That's terrific. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So now, so Americans like, how did um, the book come about? Now, we're, we, first of all, I do want to let everybody know. Um, I did mention audiobook. You uh, just recently released in August, I mean, in July, your yes. Audible audiobook. Um, so people can get that now from Amazon and through also through your American Psychic Book website dot com website. Yes, but, yes. Um, the book yeah. the book has been out for two years. Um, I released mm-hmm. it in 2018 in Kindle and paperback, and I had the greatest time going around the country and even to Europe on this amazing Marla funded book tour. <laughs> So even though it was on a shoestring of a budget, I had the greatest time. And people who are interested in seeing pictures or anything about that uh, can see that on the AmericanPsychicBook.com website. Lots of different pictures and wonderful things about where I went and all all of those things that I did. But it was during the pandemic that made me realize I had to do the audiobook. So I got a producer who sat on one side of, you know, the uh, the wall, and I sat on the other. Right. And, yeah, I, I read my own book, and I learned things. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I better pay attention <laughs> to my own words here. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. That's just funny when that, when that happens. It's like you know, I, I had to go. I did an interview from a book. I my first one was in 2012, and I did, mm. had done recent. And, and I had to go back to review, you know, what I've written, and it's like, wow, I wrote that. You know, I better, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's well, you know, it's, it, it, and getting back to what you said, you. You wanted mm-hmm. you wanted to know how American Psychic book yeah. came about. Came about. So mm-hmm. um, I actually think that loss is a real game changer. I think that, and you know, I'm being very sensitive about even talking right now about what's happening with COVID nineteen because we are mm-hmm. we are losing friends and colleagues and loved ones and whether it is loss of life, of course, loss of money, loss of income, loss of jobs, all of loss creates something um, that opens up a door. And if we can go through that transformation, walk through that door, there's lots of incredible things on the other side of that. And I got divorced in 2009, but I had been writing stories and and, and trying to parcel things about my life together. And it was truly the divorce and the loss of my home and the loss of what I thought my marriage was, and which, you know, don't marry a fantasy or fall in love with potential. Right. Really, don't do that. But it, it, <laughs> it, opened the door, it, really, it opened the door for me to actually really focus on this incredible work that I'd been doing. And yeah. and literally use all my energy for it. So that loss is what changed that. But I want to use the I want to talk about the word American, Robert. Um, 
I have the word American on my book split in a different color. The red is on the bottom and the blue is on the top. And that red represented to me everything that our country had been through. And my father was a World War II veteran. He was a a double bronze star and Purple Heart recipient. After going into Germany and being blown up in a landmine accident at the age of 26, he was blowing up Hitler's Siegfried line. And I hadn't been born yet, of course, um, but he came back to the States in a body cast. His dreams of being an officer and my mother's dreams of being an officer's wife were dashed. He basically became a feed salesman and settled in the quintessential town of Bedford, Pennsylvania, which is, you know, down in the heartland of America, right in the center of Pennsylvania in the south that borders Maryland. And that is where he, you know, built a home, and this is where I was raised. And I watched him suffer with his nighttime terrors and his daytime Mm -hmm. pain and how he medicated himself. And I'm sure that women at that time, when their, when their husbands came back from the war, were, um, were looking for any kind of relief, whether it was medicating themselves, as my mother did, with pills and watching soap operas. But it was an interesting time, as you well know. We, you know this is an opportunity to see the, the history, of course, of our, um, our country and how it developed codependency. And how we as children were looking for love in all different directions. And whether it was our parents who, or uncles or whomever that was in World War II, it moved into Korea and then it moved into um, Vietnam. And we are a nation that is still continuing to medicate and suffer from war. And I truly believe that all of this trauma makes us very psychic if we don't mitigate it with any kind of medication. And I think that that's really part of the dynamic of one of the reasons that I wrote the book, to show my journey, to say, oh, my God, if Marla can survive this and everything that she went through and do all the dumbass things that she did, then possibly <laughs> I can too. Because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did this, this do some dumb things. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, just life, <laughs> period. You know, yes, that's life, right. So, um, you know, one of the things your your book your book is broken down into two sections. One of them is called the first section is called Blind Sight, and then the second section is called Insight. So, yes. um, I hadn't heard Blind Sight before I read your book. So, would you mind sharing with the listeners that the perspective of each? Sure. Well, years ago, when I was a child, you know, um, growing up in that town. A couple of blocks down the road was a convalescent home. And a number of the girls, or even a couple of the little boys in, in the neighborhood, we used to go over and entertain in the, um, at the home. And there were lots of people in there that needed our help and needed our joy. But I was attracted to Miss Dean. Miss Dean was blind. And she could recognize me when I came in the room. And she taught me how to draw a star with one swoop of a hand, you know. But she Mm -hmm. could see me in ways that other people couldn't. And I didn't have, my grandparents were all dead by the time that I was born. 
But Miss Dean showed me uh, something that was, <clears throat> excuse me, called blindsighted. And blind sight is the ability to perceive a blind person who has the ability to perceive a light source. And I thought, wow, this is how we all are growing up, trying to navigate and see how to get out of the dark that our lives are in, how to get out of the pain, how to move. And that's really what the first part of my life was. I, I think mm-hmm. that, you know, I had some, I'm so blessed on so many levels to be in a small town and, and yet my father was a good provider and we had a beautiful home, but there were three murders when I was between the ages of 11 and 13 that were basically, um, that changed my life. A classmate was murdered Two women that I saw every week of my life. Um, and small towns, you know, there probably hadn't been any mm-hmm. murders in my small town. It was a place where, you know, you could hit, you know, hit a deer or run over a, a mailbox or something because you're drunk, but you never saw murders. And that sort of changed everything. And all of that trauma is what I, I talk about that in a very colorful way for the first part of the book. But it's the second part called insight that I thought I have to get help and I have to heal. And so it's my adventures in standing up to a a well-known, very famous, famous, famous um, actor, producer, director, who I don't name, in the second (laughs) part of the the book, who, who basically helped me really take a stand for myself. So I started therapy and all of those incredible things. And moving that pain, Robert, moving all of that trauma out of the body is what I believed opened the door for the insight. That's when all the psychic stuff started coming in. That's when I was blessed by being put in James Bond Prague's house. And I didn't even believe in mediumship. And this is where I started, you know, working with the U.S. military psychic spies. This is where I started really developing my, my gifts. And then, of course, going to the Monroe Institute and all of those incredible things that happened there. I love the. I've never been, but every guest I've had that's gone to the Monroe Institute, I have absolutely loved. <laughs> they're, they're well, you know, you must go. Are, you know, when I know. when COVID is over, when COVID is kind of over or at least handled, yeah. it is. It's incredible, and yeah. you know, all of us. Uh, there's a lot of, um, I guess, anecdotal teachings in the second half mm-hmm. of the book. Would you agree? Because it's it's not yes, a how-to okay. book. I mean, it's, it is a memoir. But I but I show you through my own skepticism how and why these things happen, and how I brought a stalker into my life who basically opened up this strange gift of fear where I had to work with law where excuse me law enforcement had to work with me, and in turn I ended up working for law enforcement on homicide cases. Yeah, boy, Nick, he seemed like a real piece of art. <laughs> so, right, right. Was, wasn't yeah. that the guy, Nick? That was, yeah. So, Nick. Um, well, well, and but Nick was a dark angel. And sometimes, you know, we make bad choices in our lives. If we've survived anything, at least they're, they're lessons to learn, right? If, you, if it doesn't mm-hmm. kill you, it makes you stronger. So, I had had my wisdom teeth taken out. 
I learned what wisdom teeth were all about. I had my (laughs) wisdom teeth taken out. I was a little too much on Percocet. And this sort of really good-looking guy that it was a cross between Antonio Banderas and Leonardo DiCaprio, in my, uh, uh, in my assumption, came into my life. And he was younger, and I was making a lot of money as an actress. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll spend some time with him. But it was being with him briefly that revealed that he was a con artist. And that when I stood up to him and when I went to law enforcement and outed his con, that he came after me. And that is about three chapters, I think. Yeah, there's, there's a bit of, of time spent with him. But, you know, I, I think <laughs> the um, – but, you know, I, what's, I think the most important thing is, this, is how you reacted to it and how, you know, you had to kind of – work with the system as it is, you know, in order to, so, I mean, for people who are out there who are in similar situations or have their own Nick or Nicole, um, that, mm-hmm. um, you know, that it's something to, uh, well, first of all, it gives them hope because you actually went through it and, and, you know, came out the other side much stronger, much more intuitive, you know, much mm-hmm. more whole, you know, as a result. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, now, now, with that, um, you know, when you started working with um, the detectives, um, one of the things, um, you know, in the section called the gifts that you talk about your gifts, um, one of the things you talk about is your use of psychometry. And um, yeah. also, I believe there was a story in, in one detective, uh, you know, that you kind of had used that or, or that it came into play when you were talking to a detective probably I think it was about Nick but would you mind sharing with the listeners um, about psychometry your use of psychometry yes. and kind of how that came to be certainly well psychometry is the ability to hold an object and ascertain information from it <clears throat> that might mean anything actually um, Excuse me. I started working with crime scene photos, but it wasn't because I knew anything about psychometry. It was something that was just thrust upon me. It was a friend of mine from college who I had starred opposite with in, in a college play who sought me out. And he said, I heard that, you know, you were leaving acting and that you had turned into some sort of psychic. And I said, well, I don't know if I can help you, but what's happening? And he said, well, I, I've been obsessed with a murder in my hometown, and I'd like for you to take a look at it with me. And I said, sure. So he came over to my house, and the first thing he did was hand me a crime scene photo of this blonde woman um, dead in a field. And Robert, it was shocking what happened. I immediately... Bam, just like that, I was teleported or bilocated to that field at nighttime. And I, you know, the television series Sherlock, did you see that? Sherlock with with Cumberbatch, I think that that show basically shows in a way through camera, the camera, exactly how my mind works. And that day was the first time I remember anything 
other than, you know, being able to look at the bowl of breaking bread and see, you know, that vision that I had. But this particular thing was, was quite shocking. I was in the field and I was walking and I could see where the houses were on one side of the field and I knew where I was going. And I was with a friend and I was with a friend and his name was Mike. And all of a sudden I turned and Mike hit me with something and he hit my mouth. And I was so shocked that I was dumbfounded and then he hit me again. And that's where I went blank to what happened. So I could see what Mike was wearing. I could see that I, how, or what I was hit with. And I told um, my friend, Rick, his name is Rick Coleman. I told him what I saw. And he said, well, you've not only corroborated what we already knew on some instance, where she was, of course, because of the photo, but you're also saying that the murder weapon has DNA on it. And he said, that might be enough to open the cold because this cold case had gone on for 30 years. Hmm. And actually that man was still in that town and there was DNA on that log that they found in the basement of the courthouse. They reopened the case and he was brought, um, he was brought to justice. Unfortunately, there had been a flood in the basement of that courthouse which I believe rendered the, um, the piece of evidence inadmissible mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of that flood. But mm-hmm. I do know that the woman who was dead was grateful, and she expressed herself many times to me and to Rick that she was grateful that someone had taken a stand for her. So psychometry, I'd love to share with uh, your listeners how they can even just practice with psychometry. I love to get a group together of people and they all bring maybe a photograph and we all mix up the photograph or we bring little objects and we mix them up or we put them in envelopes. We put them in the middle of the the floor and one by one people pick those things up and they hold the object and then they just start talking. And this is how I did this with James von Prague years ago when James was trying to prove to me that I was a medium, a psychic medium this was before James's first book had even come out. And you can hold the object, and you might see things, feel things, hear things. But in the room, the person that dropped off that object said, that's my uncle. That's the picture of my uncle fishing. So we mm. can all practice. And I, and I always tell people, when you go to your mailbox and you get your um, phone bill or when you get your uh, credit card bill, mm-hmm. just hold it and see what numbers come into your head. If it's 6234, hopefully it's not $643.02. <laughs> but it's a, way, it's a way for you to start practicing. And also I practiced for years with, um, with, with um, playing cards. Because playing mm-hmm. cards have no emotion to them. But I learned to feel the difference between black and red pretty well. And then I still have problems with, you know, face cards. But that's another way. And years and years ago, when my sister had given me a Kreskin ESP game when I was a little girl, she apparently knew that I was psychic, unbeknownst to me. 
And she got me that game. And that was a game where, you know, there were cards and you could play that. But that was, oh, you yeah. know, back in the, you know, that was back in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, boy, I had Hopefully. one of those myself. So, yeah, see? very much. See? And yeah. So, you know, exactly. so, so Robert, yeah. what's your experience with, with psychometry? Tell our listeners something about what you know about that. <laughs> well, well, actually, um, I, I I practice every now and then. I don't do it, you know, a lot. But um, well, my partner is um, a psychic, um, and he use he does psychometry. So I've I've known yeah. about psychometry for a good number of years. Um, you know, mm-hmm. one of my um, biggest challenges, and it, and it was from the time of even trying to. Uh, distinguish, you know, um, mind chatter from, you know, the voice, um, you know, was, yeah. was was trying to recognize a distinction. So for me, you know, psychometry, it's just um, one of those cases where um, sometimes, you know, my little logical, you know, intuitive interrupting mind, you know, gets in the way, you know, and, and I know, I know that's, you know, that's, um, you know, that's what's preventing it, you know, but um, mm-hmm. it's only, I guess, through practice, you know, that, that it is that through practice. Exactly. Improve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it is through practice yeah. and it's um, having more confirmation, um, of course, makes it more palatable that you, you are capable of doing this on an ongoing basis. But, you know, I want to go back to the psychometry and your partner because, he has the ability to feel things in ways that some people can't. Like he could probably, um, if he hasn't already done this, uh, detect things in the body by actually, you know, touching the back of your neck and, and or feeling various things that radiate inside the body. But I don't think he actually has to do it by touching. He can probably do it by seeing too. And I think that yeah. a lot of our listeners... I think a lot of our listeners have these abilities. I think that our bodies are complete Geiger counters for information. I think that our body knows. You know, um, you mentioned me working with Tom Campbell, the physicist and consciousness expert. He's the guy that developed the binaural beats with Bob Monroe at the Institute uh, back in the 70s mm-hmm. and also with Dennis Menernick. And, you know, Tom has has gone in and out of many experiences, being able to see things, etc. But it's, it's basically the idea that um, our bodies are Geiger counters. And he did a wonderful YouTube video with Bruce Lipton. And probably some of your listeners know who Bruce Lipton is. But Bruce talks about the cells knowing things. And the tiny little cilia that are on cells, those paramecium, they alert us to things. And so even as good as I am doing what I do, sometimes my body will tell me things that I don't catch up to my body until like weeks later, sometimes even months. You know, I'm, I'm wondering if you sensed this pandemic before it happened. Well, I've been practicing for it for years. <laughs> so, well, uh, there you go. I'm not, I mean, I'm not just uh, – very much a homebody. I'm very comfortable at home. Um, but, uh, well, you know, it was one of those things where um, I just felt that there was going to be something, you know, the new decade, but, but it, 
you know, being an, an optimist and forever hopeful was hoping that it would have been you know, a period of enlightenment rather than the mm-hmm. dark ages, you know, for, but, um, <laughs> but, but, but it's, you know, one of the things is, is that it's, it's obvious that it is highlighting so many areas that have gone undetected that really need attention, like you know the inequality um, uh, yeah. among among healthcare, the, the, just the different um, differences in different countries and approaches, and and how everybody interacts with science, how people some people don't, um, and the, the idea of compassion for everyone is that we're. I mean, this is mm-hmm. like a literally we are all connected here on the same planet. You know, this is one of those examples, and not even to mention the the breath of fresh air that we gave to planet Earth during our time of shutdown. You know, oh, um, so there's so that many amazing? things. Oh, that was so amazing. I mean, really, I live in Los Angeles. To see the sky so blue, to smell the air so clean, to watch, you know, on, on, um, I don't know if it's a Doppler or whatever the doohickey is that shows us China and the lack of of air pollution. Amazing, wasn't it? Yep, yep. Exactly, exactly. I mean, again, you know, I just think that it, I mean, it was, and it's on such a major scale. I mean, you know, people, yeah. no one, everyone is affected in some way, whether they, in the, how they respond to that, you know, new awareness is, is a different matter. You know, we'll, we'll see, kind of see mm-hmm. how things, but the idea is I think it, you know, really just shook global awareness. You know, um, so mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think we needed it. So, but we're a little bit past halfway through the show, uh, Marla. So I want to take just a quick break, um, and okay. and then when we come back, um, I want I want to kind of explore the idea. You know, uh, when you were talking about working with law enforcement, you know, you, you talked about kind of you know that bilocation kind of experience. I want to talk about um, how the idea of feeling <laughs> all of these. Uh, what we would think would be horrendous kinds of um, experiences and, and how that affects mm-hmm. you and, um, and that kind of thing, okay? Yes. Okay, great. Everyone, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this very brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our homepage. Our website ByteRadio.me has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. 
And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us. Just a real short uh, bit of uh, self-promotion here. I just want to let everybody know that um, my photography store is up and running now at rpsharp.pickfair.com, and you can download and, and license some of my nature photos. So I just want to let you know that that's now available. So today, my very special guest is Marla Fries, and we're talking about her new book, American Psychic, a, well, her book, American Psychic, A Spiritual Journey from the Heartland to Hollywood, Heaven, and Beyond. And what's particularly new is the audio version is now available on, on Audible. So uh, you can find out more uh, about Marla by visiting her website, which is MarlaFries.com. It's M-A-R-L-A. F-R-E-E-S dot com. And you can find out more about the book by visiting AmericanPsychicBook.com. And on that website, the book website at the very top is a link to the Audible version. So, okay, with that, we're back. Marla? Yes, hi. Well, I just also want to say that those um, websites are interchangeable. You can go to one and find the other, but... Um, on the AmericanPsychicBook.com, I do have a link to the Amazon paperback and the Kindle. And anybody that's interested or follows Barnes & Noble, my book is up there as well as on Simon & Schuster. So it's available any place. And I just want to say that your photographs are absolutely stunning. Oh, thank you. It's, it's one of my passions. You're welcome. <laughs> I've really kind of well, I I've dived that. into I that recently. I feel that, and I look forward to the winter photographs. I know that are coming. You're going to get some really wonderful ones this year. Also, I love you give a new meaning to the word "bite me." Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> bringing inspiration. That was my to favorite Earth. ten years I ago. I love that. I love that bite. I love uh, that. I laughed and I saw it bite me, and I'm like, that's just great. I love that. Well, you you wanted to talk about, you know, the the business with law enforcement. And when I was checking you out, I I loved that there you have um, one of your shows up, uh, How to Drag a Body. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And hope you never have to use it. (laughs) By the way, I do know now how to drag a body. (laughs) (laughs) One of the benefits of the show. Well, I I love that. And I... um, you know, I think that I, when I was really invested in this, and it's hard, been hard for me to be invested in uh, working law enforcement in the last couple of years because of needing to focus on the book and promoting the book because all mm-hmm. of my work for law enforcement was pro bono. And I'm not working as an actress anymore, making tons of money, so I don't have the luxury of being able to work a case like that. Um, but when I was, quote, in the field, it was an amazing mm-hmm. experience. Um, uh, just starting out, uh, I was working a case that was, um, and it's still, it's not that it's not unsolved because we basically have solved it. It's just that we can't find the body. Therefore, Prove we can't, per, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, per, you know, um, persecute the perpetrator. But uh, I was in San Luis Obispo looking for this, 19-year-old blonde girl, and I found a 43-year-old Hispanic man. So, <laughs> I got to say, I, 
I didn't find the right person, but I was led to uh, a place where they had just found um, a deceased Hispanic man. And some of these things, um, I was highly just focused on finding. And I wasn't concerned about the emotional aspects of finding a body or anything. I had studied with Vernon Gebhardt, who has written, you know, um, homicide books and um, autopsy books. So I hadn't been worried about that. And I had actually gone through the Dahmer um, uh, case and understood that I was capable of, of not internalizing any of that pain. But one okay. of the things that did, did disturb me, um, even though I was working with FBI people and, and also getting, if I could get on the, the uh, signal line of somebody that was missing and I could provide information to either PIs or FBI, that would mean that I was tracking the individual or the perpetrator, the murderer. And there was one individual that I did track he has been since killed, and I didn't find that out until I was watching one of those episodes of um, unsolved cases or crime crime cases. And I'm watching this case, going, "Oh my God, this feels so familiar to me." And then, of course, I find out that uh, a dog had pulled him out of a car after being chased, a police dog, and I think the um, the bite had killed him or something. But I tracked this guy because he was responsible for killing a number of these. Um, prepubescent young girls and I gave enough information during uh, a time where he I was still tracking him and I couldn't make the information uh, make sense I got the name of a girl which actually turned into being the name of a town and yes he did make a perpetration on the weekend that I saw it happening but it wasn't a girl it was a young boy who looked like a girl and mm-hmm. what he did to that boy was, I, of course, found out um, after I had given that information. And when I found out what he had did to the boy, I, or what he had done to the boy, excuse me, I, I was so rattled. Not mm-hmm. because I felt it, it's because I couldn't stop it. And that, mm-hmm. you know, part of my codependent thing just kicked in and I... I had to be able to, I took time, I took a couple of years off doing those cases. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the idea, you know, of um, experiencing, even if you're able to put the, the pain or, or to kind of compartmentalize in a way, mm-hmm, I mean, to mm-hmm. me, it, I just couldn't imagine myself witnessing something like that and not be forever affected, you know? Um, well, well, I'm, I'm, gr- I'm grateful that I have worked with the deceased of mm-hmm. trauma. I've worked right. with the, the actual dead person of murder or um, a, a situation that was an attack or a terrible accident. I've worked with those people to know that once they're out of the body and some have been, they've said to me, I was yanked out of my body before that even happened. 
you know, or I felt okay. the first bullet. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel, mm-hmm. I didn't feel the, you know, I, yeah. that is the benevolence. And if I'm working with, with their loved ones, their loved ones need to know that they're not in yeah. pain. Yeah. I had, I had and, and, a situation. I'm, I'm sorry. You're saying oh. and knowing that, you know, that may have left the body prior to that. Yes. Has yes. to be comforting because we don't want you know, the idea yes. of our loved one suffering at the end. Well, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, mm-hmm. interestingly enough, I had a client the other day who has, has not been able to get past with, um, and I've known him for years, but I, I hadn't talked to him in a while. And his mother had suffered so long in that body and she came in, and she's been out of the body for years, but he still can't seem to let go of that pain. And his mother sort of mm. read him the riot act, saying, <laughs> I am so great. I am not in that pain. Let's not go there. We have to change this. So, you know, we all do yeah. different things with loss. And um, our deceased loved ones, and, and believe me, I did not believe in this. I did not believe in talking right. to the dead. So when it started happening to me, it was quite shocking. And I, I can even talk to you about the science of this because this is the great thing about God, that God's benevolence, which I refer to in many different forms in the book, but this larger consciousness system allows us to look at this like the matrix, tapping into a database, whether you call it the Akashic Records or the database, or the benevolence of the fact that our loved ones are still connected to us by love. There's only, you know, there's only one reason for me to be able to do the work I do as far as that is concerned. And that's continuing to bridge love between the living and the dead. You know, remember, Jesus did not jump off that cross. He allowed himself to go through that process to show us yeah. life after death, that consciousness survived death. And that is the yeah. part of the gift, part of the gift. It is. Now, I understand that you're, in addition to being able to um, get the perspective of the victim, you are also able to do that um, experience through a perpetrator. And yes. that has to be a very odd um, sense, I would think. I mean, because you don't strike me as a perpetrator type, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, 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 you know, okay, so, so let's, so let's look that. at it this way. Oh, thank you, this time around. Who knows about a previous <laughs> lifetime? But, um, but interesting, I, I have really looked at this because I worked with Brian Weiss, who is basically the, the father of, mm-hmm. of past life regressions. And because I've gone in and had many of these past life experiences, I know that all of us have been perpetrators and victims. And we have done that dance mm-hmm. in and out of our souls many, many, many different times. But Excuse me. I do share a story in the book, which is quite unique. When I'm working with law enforcement officers on a television show, it was a pilot that we were filming. The pilot did not get picked up, and I'm sure there were many reasons for that. But there was one of the most, I mean, it's still to this day, one of the most unique things and weird things, even weird for me, that I have ever, ever experienced. (laughs) And that was going into, I was working this cold case of a murder 
and I, I, you know, it's, I think I have a couple of clips from it on, on one of my videos on YouTube, but I could feel the perpetrator. Now, what happened was the producers of the show took us into the Garden Grove police station where there was these evidence lockers. And they had the evidence of this particular crime lined up on a table, and I didn't even need to touch anything. And all of a sudden, I could hear things like it was some guy talking about what was in those bags. And I'm talking to the detective who I'm working with. His name is Mike. And I said, Mike, ask me questions as the perpetrator, because I think the perpetrator wants to talk. So all of a sudden... I started to feel really confident and really cocky, and I took my boots off. I mean, I'm probably 5'8", five, 5'9", five, in a pair of good heels. And I took my boots off so that I would be my five, six and a half um, self, and I knew I was shorter. I knew I was feeling gruff. I felt guilty, and I answered questions that the detective asked me. And then, as the perpetrator... I felt guilty, and I wanted to draw a map, and I took two pieces of yellow legal paper off a pad that I'd been working with, and I drew a map. And the map I drew, I didn't know what I was drawing, but I was talking, Mm -hmm. and it's in the book. The whole thing is in the book. But I was talking things and making notes and lines and squiggles and dots and stars on this map, and Elaine Joyce, who was one, she is now, she's retired, but she took that map and she put it on a map of Los Angeles. And that Garden Grove case was where the star was, where the murder was, and everything had lined up. And there were other cases that had not been solved. So we did come away from that pilot understanding that it was a um, uh, two-person perpetration. It was rapes, and it was a murder. So that was pretty remarkable. I'd never experienced anything like that before. Wow. Yeah. Well, Marla, we are down to the last five minutes, and there is just one more. I mean, we could talk about so many more things, but there's at least one more topic I wanted to cover before we left. Yes. And that is um, in your your book, you know, you talk about, you know, guides and, you know, intuition. And but there's one thing called THEMS, T-H-E-M-S, which is an acronym. (laughs) So can you tell us what THEMS, what THEMS is? Yes. Well, thems came at a time when I was going through the divorce and everybody that was around me knew my connection to God, knew my connection to the Holy Spirit, knew my connection to angels and, and those guides that had come to help me. And I said, oh, thems? And then I heard, well, if you're going to call us thems, you need to know what it stands for, the Heavenly Eternal Messaging System. And I thought, okay. So I lovingly called everything and everyone and all of the beautiful, incredible, remarkable blessings and information I get from them. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I know. I, when, when I read that one, I thought, boy, that's, that's one of those acronyms I can easily adapt. I know. Adapt. Oh, so, good. I'm so Yeah, glad. it's wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you, Robert. Well, thank you again, so much. I so am grateful. Now, 
Thank you. Is there any maybe final words or, you know, again, you might want to give to the listeners, especially during this time, this dynamic time that we're in? Well, you know, I think that everybody needs to be curious about their own intuition. Pay attention to how you think. You know, when I'm in the shower in the morning, I get lots of downloads just standing under that shower, understanding that I am in service. You know, the, the gift that I bring to the world is being able to hear, see, and feel information for you. That book that is now on Audible is a real go-to, not just to see your own life, but to inspire you to tell your truth, tell your stories. And also there's anecdotal information that will inspire you to become more intuitive yourself. And you can follow me on Instagram and I'm on Twitter. I'm doing the very best I can to be as um, politically correct right now as I can as we move (laughs) into a very – as we try Uh to move into a very challenging time where, you know, I'm all about unity. And, you know, we don't need to be right. We, We need to be loving. And that's the work that I do. I'm still working with Tom Campbell, who is a physicist, author, and consciousness expert, And I'm doing the best I can to help others find their own path through their intuition. Because these gifts are the gifts of vision, prophecy, intuition. Um, And it's all, all, you know, based in the Bible, interestingly enough. But we take this into the world and we use it to help others. So thank you so very much, Robert. It is my pleasure, and, and we're connected on Facebook, so I'm looking forward to following your journey there. And and um, I believe I got you on Twitter. I have, I'll add you on uh, Instagram at the end of the show. But I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you, Marla. This has really been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. You're, you're very welcome. Again, everyone, today my very special guest has been Marla Fries. And we've been talking about her book, American Psychic, A Spiritual Journey from the Heartland to Hollywood, Heaven, and Beyond. And again, her new book is available on Audible. And it's a long, long audio, nine hours and 48 minutes. And uh, by the way, um, Marla, I have to tell you, I, I, my hat's off to you. That is a long audio that you did. So. Good, good work. Thank you. Yes, it was. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Again, everyone, you can find out more by visiting Marla's website, which is marlafreeze.com, and that's M-A-R-L-A-F-R-E-E-S.com. Or you can also visit the book website, which is AmericanPsychicBook.com. And again, on that book website, uh, you'll have links to the actual print book at, at Amazon, as well as uh, the audio book. So everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.